In order to be able to maintain my performance at work, I feed on the things that make me happy. Inspiring other people, some jokes and laughter. I do get up a lot and walk around. These three things really make me be able to focus and be more inspired in my work. And this is Scaling Clean, the podcast for clean economy CEOs, investors, and the people who advise them. I'm your host, Mike Casey. My day job is running TigerCom, a firm that counsels companies that are helping move the U.S. economy onto a more sustainable footing. I get to meet the people who are succeeding at building, funding, or advising the most successful companies in your sectors. So each show, we try to bring you usable insights from these leaders so you can apply them to the business of running your business. Hey, Clean Techers, welcome back to Scaling Clean. This is the podcast that gathers company building and management tips from the most accomplished leaders in clean tech. Today, we talk with Hala Baluz, who has spent the last 15 years growing electric power engineers, EPE as it's known among developers, from a consultancy of 10 staff to a national presence of over 200 grid connection experts. Hala is actually the CEO of two companies, EPE and NRI AI. But she's also led both GridNext and the Texas Renewable Energy Industries Alliance. In her current role, she helps developers connect to the increasingly complex power grid through both consulting services and SaaS offerings. Hala, welcome to the show. Thank you. Let's start with your background. Could you summarize your career as a company leader? A lot of hard work and passion for our energy industry always being several steps ahead by recognizing challenges fueled by a strong vision. From early entry into serving renewable development in the 1990s to here lately, understanding the need of software and consulting to go hand in hand in solving grid edge problems in our industry. If you and I watch split screen footage of you managing people in your first managerial position, Next to footage of you managing and leading today, what differences would we notice? Oh, what a good question. Um, maybe a little more patience and room for mistakes. <laughs> uh, but honestly, yeah. I, I have to say I still lead the same way with a lot of inspiration and passion and care for developing the people who work for me. Name me your three most important mentors and what did you learn from them? All right, um, not a very difficult one. Everybody was my mentor in life, but I will venture to naming three. My father, who always taught me that if I wanted to reach for the stars, I just have to plot them out. Um, my uh, professor in power systems at Texas A&M, who gave me the most exciting research projects to work on that allowed me to expand my mind and understanding the grid and the reliability and economics of the grid, all the way to my first um, employer who understood that I was a strong, a strong leader and made sure that he didn't put any boundaries on me and pushed me actually out in the world very early on. What are three of the most important pieces of advice you have for young clean tech professionals who think they want to run a company at some point in their lives? All right, very important question. Uh, I would first ask them to uh, slow down and first focus on finding something they're passionate about. Number two, I would ask them to learn as much as they can around 
what they're really passionate about and never shy away from doing anything they're asked to do, never say no to anything. And third, I would make sure they focus and learn how to deliver what is important for clients or for the people using their product. This is what determines success. What advice do you have for young women? All right. Uh, two pieces of advice for young women. First, don't try to be a man in the way you run your business. Run this as yourself. There is no difference really in being a man or a woman the way you run it. So get that out of your system. Number two, if there are some things young women sometimes do is be too critical of themselves and too hard on themselves, I would remind them that there's nothing they cannot do and to always remember them. What drew you to clean economy and what has kept you in it for all these years? So uh, what drew me into clean economy early on in the 1990s was really an early passion for renewables. And it evolved and revolved around making sure that we can integrate these renewables into the grid in a reliable and economic way. This was really the stepping stone into where uh, my company, Electric Power Engineers, is today and also drove me to uh, form and deliver what NRI.ai does in the software business. But you've been doing it for 20 years. There's got to be a reason that you've stayed in it for all this time. Like, what, what keeps you here? Uh, actually, what keeps me in this uh, industry is the need to deliver clean, reliable, and economic energy uh, to the people. I feel uh, over the years of my experience that it is on me to collaborate with our clients and stakeholders to make sure that we can keep the lights on, keep the world clean, and keep energy affordable. It's very important to me. So if you have a chance to compare notes with people who run companies in more mature sectors, is your impression that it's a little bit different or maybe a lot bit different running a clean economy company from leading a company that's in a more mature sector? Absolutely. Look, it is a big challenge to grow a company the way our companies are growing in an economy and in an industry that in itself is also changing. So you are moving at a fast pace and the industry is moving at a faster pace with new technology and new changes. It is very different than a mature industry where you wake up every morning and you know what you're delivering every day. Every day at Electric Power Engineers and NRI.ai, we wake up reinventing what we need to do. So one thing I've noticed is the exceptional growth you've brought to the company, like you you were at the helm in 2008. 15 years later, you've taken it from 10 people to 210 people. A lot of people don't do that. And I want to know, if you look back, what went into that that successful growth? Actually, let me brag a little bit first, because that growth really happened between 2015 and 2023 in less than 15 years. The first few years that I founded and was running this business, I still had teenagers at home and I was focused on that and letting the company grow organically uh, a bit at a time. In 2015, um, when my kids uh, left to college, I 
I was able to pour all my passion into what I love, which is this industry and recognize the transformation it was going to go through. So the growth was really to deliver the impossible to this industry in terms of planning for the future grid. And it really is what fueled the growth of this company. I love that. Tell me more about that. When you say deliver the impossible, what do you mean by that? That that means, uh, sorry, yeah. That means building an organization with a handful of people and growing it that can understand the grid from every aspect. Distribution, transmission, generation, grid edge, DERs, technology. You had, or in my mind, a successful company had to understand all those within an organization to deliver a holistic solution to our clients. You quit your job tomorrow. You're going to teach a class at the business school at Texas A&M on the role of the effective CEO. Your first day, you're going to present a pie chart that has the components to the CEO's job if he or she is successful. What's on the list? What goes in the pie chart? So it's really the vision and mission are very important, right? You have to give your company a vision and mission. And then if you want to be, let me see what you're asking, effective CEO, uh, you've got to inspire and rally people behind you. It's very important. And um, quality control. When you say quality control, I think a lot of people will say, oh, you know, the, the mantra of the CEO is hire good people and delegate as much as possible. You're volunteering quality control as part of the role of the effective CEO. Can you say more about how you involve yourself in quality control to the level you think works, but doesn't micromanage your team? The way I manage quality control in the business is through a culture that we propagate throughout the organization. It's pride and it's also sense of ownership of delivering to the client what they entrusted us with. We don't want our clients or anyone to come back and find any fault with what we did. So I noticed what you did not say was business development. At your size, are you involved in business development? We definitely are involved in business development. At the size of our business today, you can't do without it. So, But you yourself, you're involved in business development? I am. Good. And are you brought in as the closer or how do you involve yourself? What's the right amount? Because I think what a lot of, what a lot of leaders and companies I see feel challenged by is getting that Goldilocks amount of involvement. Not too much, not too little. So when it comes to business development, how have you found your way to like the right level of involvement? That's a good question. It changed over time as the business grew from uh, from being involved in every project when the company was was 10 people to later on being a part of only acquiring a new client or or solving a challenge with an acquisition of a new client to where I am today where I do this through thought leadership mainly you've been doing this now managing rapid growth for 15 years by your own admission, that growth really hockey sticked like in the last five or six. In that time, you made a lot of hires. What did you learn about hiring? What do's and don'ts do you have to give to our listeners? 
All right. Uh, the do's, um, the golden rules for hiring is if you really know what the position is for, that would make the hiring a lot more successful. It is hard in a fast growing business because you're hiring very quickly and that results in more mistakes that are unavoidable. So the most important thing is that job description, the understanding of what the person you're hiring should be doing and imagining where they are in that position, playing it over and over with your team before you post a job, before you interview and when you make the decision. Do you have a go-to interview question that you almost always ask people? Uh, that's a good, really good one. Yes, I do. My go-to question that I have to ask every person uh, we hire is how do they see themselves as a team player and to let me know one time where they made a difference for the team and one time when they let their team down. Do you interview every new candidate or are you just interviewing direct reports to you these days? I definitely don't interview everyone. You're talking about an organization is hiring tens of people a month. I do interview my direct hires, but I also interview critical hires in the business for some of my direct reports. So take me through your interview process. Let's say I'm going to be a direct report to you potentially. What are you going to ask me? What are you looking for? Tell me more about your interview process, what you've learned in terms of the actual step-by-step, -step, how you vet candidates. All right. Um, may I first admit that I am not the strongest interviewer, but I know what I want from my people. Sometimes I resort to my own executive team to help me, and that's really actually the best thing I learned in life. That's why you hire great people. Now, what I look for in my direct reports uh, are leaders, people who are uh, motivated to drive on their own, and strategic thinkers. These characteristics are important for me and my direct reports to be aligned. And that's one of the most significant parts of a successful team. Aligned on what sorts of things? Aligned on uh, where we want the business to go. Let me see on what sorts of things. Uh, to be aligned on our approach on how to drive the business growth. It has to be a culture fit. For example, I believe in delivering quality and relevance before I think about the uh, revenue component and the money component of things. I believe in investing in the future and not necessarily just delivering on the present. Many of those things are um, dif difficult to be aligned on if you're not compatible. Are you asking me as a potential job candidate you're interviewing, are you asking me to respond to a particular case study as part of the what I'm asked and the actual process of vetting me as a candidate? Absolutely. Part of the interview process is giving a project or a problem to solve, a situation to get out of or get into. A case study is very, very important way of understanding the candidate and your compatibility with them. What about firing people? What have you learned about firing? 32 years in this uh, business and being a leader through most of it, I still find firing very hard. You, though, have to be brave and fire at the right time. Otherwise, not only your business will suffer, but the candidate will suffer too with you. 
How do you know it's the right time to let someone go? How do you decide? Well, first, you have to communicate your dissatisfaction with a candidate. You have to give a few chances. When you give one, two, three for me or four chances of getting aligned on delivering what you're asking the candidate, candidate to deliver and that doesn't happen, it's time to go. So a mismatch between what's asked and what I'm delivering yes. several times, that's, that's going to put me in the, um, on, on the exit path out of your company. Absolutely. I got to ask you this because you, I know you as a successful CEO, I assume you were a successful parent, but so many mid-career professionals between like mid thirties and late forties are wrestling with this problem. How do I balance home and work life? I know you probably don't feel like you did it perfectly, but you clearly did it well enough that your kids aren't in jail and your company's not in the toilet. So you did something well. What did you learn? Give me things that I can give to listeners because I can't tell you the number of people who are wrestling with this on a daily basis. This is the hardest thing and you will lose on one front or the other. You cannot be a perfect mother and build a company at the same time. You know, in the same way that fathers who also build careers, they really are not there as much as the fathers who have not chosen that path. So your family will suffer, will not see you enough. The way I did it is I made sure there are weekend times, there are trips, there are book reading times at the end of the day. So I gave where I could and made, made sure I was persistent in some ways. But I cannot tell you how, how many times I wasn't there for my kids where I wished I was. We like to ask two questions to close. <clears throat> the first is, if Hala Blues treats her performance as a CEO as kind of um, an athletic endeavor or some a form of performance, she has to treat the performance vehicle, yourself, with a certain amount of respect and care to maintain her performance when she, when she goes to work. What habits, practices, or hobbies have you acquired that maintain your performance as a CEO. And we've heard everything from I go to the opera to I hike with my spouse every weekend and everything in between. But I'm just endlessly fascinated by this, by answers to this question of how people use non-work activities to enhance and maintain their at-work performance. Look, I'm not gonna lie to you. I spent most of my time working. If I wasn't working, I was learning and feeding my curiosity. Sometimes when I go back, I think that was my hobby. Learning and curiosity was my hobby. It wasn't always delivering on projects. I was learning how is this gonna be solved? How is that gonna happen? What is this new technology doing? That really fed my soul. However, there is one thing that kept me sane is outdoors. Whether it is in my yard going out, trimming a tree or kayaking in the lake, I was lucky to be at the lake most of my life. That has kept me sane. It was very important. All right. Give me one to three productivity tips that you deploy that were hard won. Like at work, I do these things that keep my performance as high as possible. All right. Um, two things. Okay. In order to be able to maintain my performance at work, 
I feed on the things that make me happy, inspiring other people, some jokes and laughter. I do get up a lot and walk around. These three things really make me be able to focus and be more inspired in my work. All right, last question. Are you a climate optimist or are you a climate pessimist and why? I cannot tell you that I don't worry about climate change. However, I am an optimist at heart and I live and work knowing in my heart that I can make a difference and reverse climate change. If we don't all work this way, we will not stand a chance. Halabaluz, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Thank you for answering so honestly and thoughtfully. We really appreciate it. And I wish you all the luck in the world in running your company. Thanks for coming on Scaling Clean. Thank you for having me on your show. This is Scaling Clean, a production of Tigercom, and I'm Mike Casey. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to our show free anywhere you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.